One of the strategies that we often use as parents is a strategy of trying to cause a child to be jealous. Now, we wouldn't call it that necessarily, but there's those moments when, especially with younger children, you come to a child and you invite them to do something with you. Hey, do you want to go to the store with me? Do you want to play a game with me? Do you want to, 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 to build something with me or whatever? And for whatever reason, that child is in a mental position, in that moment, a mental condition, where they say, no, no. And so what do you do as a parent? Well, some of us try this strategy. Okay, well, it's going to be fun without you. So then we go over and we begin to maybe play with that toy and have a good time. And you're hoping that maybe that will lure the child in or, okay, it's going to be some fun things at the store, but if you want to stay, that's okay. I'm not going to make you go. You're trying to lure that child in. But the nuclear option that some parents use in this moment is that, that tool of saying, well, I'll just take one of your siblings. <laughs> FOMO is a real thing. Fear of missing out. And listen, it's a strategy that we see not only in some parenting, but today in our text, we see God Almighty using. He wants for you and I to have a certain fear of missing out because we say, no, God, I don't want to join you in what you're doing. No, God, I'm, I'm, I'm content with what we've got here. I'm content with Sunday morning only. I, I'm good, God. And he says, then I'll use someone else. He says to us, then I'll work somewhere else. But he's reaching out to us like a parent because in those moments when we use the jealousy strategy, the Come on, it's really a parent holding out their arms to their child and saying, come, come and spend time with me. Come and be with me. Come and enjoy the relationship that we have as father and child. And today in God's word, God's word says, but to Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. And lest we become like Israel 2,000 years ago in this context, in this passage, we need to be reminded by his word of what it means to join him in what he's doing. We need to, as the people of God today, living in New Orleans, Louisiana, members of First Baptist Church, New Orleans, or wherever you're part of, we need to recover what it is we've been invited into and where he is at work and how he works. Because we have become diluted. We've become distracted. We have given our attention to many things but his word is inviting us into a way of joining in what he is doing that is specific and it is powerful. And so I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word as we open to Romans chapter 10. 
Romans chapter 10, and I want to read the entirety of this chapter, and then I want to make my way through the chapter from the end of it, going back to the beginning as we see some major movements in this passage that speak to us today. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they've not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all have obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Their voice has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. Father, please, lest we become a disobedient and defiant people, we need your spirit to change us. Apart from you, we will be that. You are faithful. You are faithful. And so we ask that you will do it today. In our midst, through your word, through the foolishness of what is preached, Christ crucified, would you continue your work of salvation in our life and bring your salvation to New Orleans and all nations through us, Lord. Give us the nations, God, and do it in such a way that only you receive the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You can be seated. The sermon in a sentence today is this, to be a biblically thriving church, we must proclaim the gospel. To be a biblically thriving church, we must proclaim the gospel. Unless you think there's simplicity to that, unless you think we've got that, 
we continue to be the ones, believers here in the West, specifically in the United States, who become less and less and less likely every year to open our mouths and tell anyone about Jesus Christ as Lord. The statistics continue to move in that direction. In fact, some say they even were, were expedited by COVID. That we are the people who have this incredible treasure of the gospel, and yet we continue to bury it in a field. Waiting for that day when Christ will return, we'll go and dig it up and say, you gave me the gospel, now here it is. And he'll remind us in that day that he intended it to be put to work. He intended it to be something that then we invested and we gave away liberally in this life. And we'll look and like those that recount in Matthew chapter 7, Lord, didn't I do a bunch of things in your name? He's going to say, away from me, I never knew you. Those are false prophets. But what becomes clear from the presence of false prophets is false disciples. Those who, who maybe said something, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But here in this passage, God invites us into where he is at work. He's extending his hands. He's saying, I want you to come with me. I do want every one of you, every one of you to be with me as your father. I want you to see the beauty and glory of my work. But there is a specific way that he is doing it in this city and among the nations. And you can be so close and yet miss it. As we move through the passage, I want us to see that this idea of the gospel was preeminent to Paul. That as he wrote this letter of Romans, the gospel had changed everything for him. And he is trying to explain in great detail the, the message of the gospel. Facets of it that maybe are easily overlooked. Facets of it that were misunderstood. He's moving even in this text into a passage to help to try to bring together some understanding about how the old covenant relates to the new covenant and how it, where are the Jewish people in all of this. And you see him grappling with these things of wanting them to be saved but acknowledging that they are a disobedient people pushing the Lord away. And so let's just acknowledge first the, the context. Can we appropriate this to us today as the church? I mean, is it okay for us to, to move into this passage that's clearly talking about ethnic Jews who would have been the Old Testament people of God, a people who would have been able to say, Abraham is our father. We went into captivity in Egypt, but God brought us out through the Red Sea. God gave us his law through Moses. We then entered into the promised land that he gave us. We then knew his deliverance through judges. We, we followed him in some regards and were blessed with godly kings, but we also turned away from him at times and had devastating leadership. We, we had the prophets, but at times we did not listen to them and therefore we went into exile. But God has brought us back and we are now awaiting the promised Messiah. That's who these people were. These were the people who had this. 
and the people that he's speaking of here. So can we appropriate this message, this warning about Israel for us today? The writer of Hebrews says yes. The writer of of Hebrews says yes, that we are to learn a lesson, lest our hearts become hard. We are to look at those who walk before us, who at times lacked faith in order that we might be encouraged in our own faith. So there's an appropriation for this message for the church today that's even contextual to the letter of Romans. The the, the letter of Romans makes no sense if it's only intended for a Jewish audience in the first century. But instead, it's meant to be a warning for each one of us today. And so what I want you to first see in this passage as we move from verse 21 back to verse 1 is the warning from the gospel. The warning from the gospel. He's he's warning us. And he was warning his own people for hundreds and hundreds of years. Saying through the prophet Isaiah, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking me. Don't miss it. He's saying what I want to do is to reveal myself. I want people to see me. But understand this. People will spend collectively billions touching into the trillions of dollars to go to places to behold beauty. It's a major industry. I mean, people fly all over the world to go to places, museums, to landscapes, to geography, all of these things just to behold beauty. Maybe you do it. Maybe there's an artist you love, that you love to go to that gallery to see that art and that it touches you in a way that no other art can do. That you are one of those people that travel every year to a specific place, whether it's on another continent, whether it's here in the continental U.S., whatever it is, you go to behold the beauty of this creation. God, who created the artist, God, who created the beauty of nature, is saying, I have done these things so that you might behold me, that you might see me. When you look at these things, these are just but a part of my handiwork. I created the artist who did that. I put put that art in their heart to do, to show that I am an artist. I created the Grand Canyons. I created the, the mountains. I created the rivers. I did all of these things, but only as road signs pointing back to me. You and I think that to behold God is just to sit through an hour and 15 minute service. We think, oh. Brothers and sisters, to behold God is what we were created to do. Because when we see God, we will worship him rightly. When we see God, we will glorify him as God. One day, every eye will see. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day we're all going to see it perfectly. And we won't remember the streams and the mountains and the canyons, the art and the music and the plays. We won't remember those things because they will pale in comparison to the real thing, to the beauty of the living God. And here he is saying, I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. Don't miss the grace of this God. 
He is saying to you and to me today, I want to show you my glory. I want you to see me at work. But we are in danger of saying, no thanks. We like what we create much better. No thanks. We like our music much better. No thanks. We like our good works much better. And to us, God is extending his hands that through a warning to those who have gone before us saying, if you don't, then I will continue to work and you will be jealous. You will long for it. You see, this week as I went over to North Africa and had the absolute honor of gathering with the, the, the secret church that is there, that has to meet in secret places and, and to worship over the obscurity of night. I saw the beauty of the body of Christ in great simplicity. I believe that it was as close as I will ever come in my life to seeing Acts 2, 42. The beauty of the church, them, them savoring the word of God. Just recently, just in the last eight years of having gotten the New Testament in their own language, they prized the Word of God. They savor, they memorize the Word of God. They feast on the Word of God together, but they do it while breaking bread. And in a fashion like it would have been in the first century, they take one piece of bread and they, they, they break the bread. And as they do it, they remember Christ crucified, and they remember his blood shed for us, and they celebrate the Lord's Supper on a regular basis over the meals as they then scoop the meals and enjoy their time together. And, and discipleship is done face-to-face, -face, sitting beside each other, closer than any of us would want to be to another person. Their idea of personal space is about 12 inches, while ours is about 36, okay? Never had men rest their hand on my inner thigh while talking to me about Christ. But that happened this week. And it didn't mean what it would mean here, okay? That's the context of discipleship, is an intimate connection with one another, a richness of relationship. And God is saying, I am inviting you into this. But that may mean that you have to leave something. That may mean that we have to say, God, okay, I'm willing to reconsider this. Because as we continue to go back through the passage and we see the warnings that I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. All of these warnings going back then lead us to the work of the gospel. The work of the gospel. And we have to reclaim this. Brothers and sisters, First Baptist New Orleans, we have to reclaim this, that we are those who proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ and him crucified. That is what we must be if we are going to be a biblically thriving church. We have to be those who tell. Now, immediately in this moment, some of you are shutting down because your mind is going to a dark place where you've been shamed in the past into having to go knock on doors in Lakeview or Gentilly. It, you're being shamed into a, a certain paradigm of like an 11 or 15 week, you know, training on how to do evangelism and all the stuff you had to memorize that now you've forgotten. And right now you're just, you're kind of shutting down on me. But I'm going to ask just for this moment that you leave all that aside. That, that, that what you're maybe rejecting is, is a model. 
It's just a, a way that it was attempted to do at one point. And some of you still love that model. And that's okay. I'm not trying to change the models over and over again. That's called remodeling. You just keep, you just keep changing it, but it doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't change. It just looks a little different. But please hear me. We have to be a people that say yes to this command in Scripture or else we are going to, don't forget the context, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on seeing God at work in the work of the gospel. See the work of the gospel. How then can they call on him of whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And you think, Chad, preacher. No, no, no. Just think about those who tell. Just get that in your mind in this moment, that it's not just the preacher, the guy that's hired to do it on a Sunday morning in a sanctuary like this. Just think in this moment, for the clarity of this, those that tell, those that tell the gospel. So how can they hear without a teller, someone telling them? And how can they tell unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The most powerful moment in the last week for me was when we were inside of this small home, the, the way that you sit down for meals as there's rugs all over the floor, and there's pillows along the wall. The room's probably about you know, 12 by eight in size. And so you know, you're, you're pretty close together and there's basically a small round coffee table that is the table. And you're there reclining on the floor, kind of leaning on pillows and leaning into each other. It explains the hand on the inner thigh thing. You know, you're, you're just really close to each other. So you're there, and then you gather around this meal, and, and you, you begin to have conversation. And these are people that are very open to spiritual things. They're very spiritual people. They pray five times a day, as prescribed in the Quran. They, they, they fast during Ramadan. During, during daylight hours, they eat and drink nothing. And then they feast in the evenings. They, they give alms to the poor. They, they do all of these things. They, they, some of them will make a pilgrimage to Mecca. All of these things. And they, they, they try and try and try to kind of gain good favor with God in this lifetime. And so we sat around and we had time of, of talking to this village where we had brought clean drinking water for the first time in its 200-year existence. I mean, you're going to see some videos in the weeks to come where we were able to, to work with a water engineer in a program that, that he's been doing for years there, for the last 17 years, of being able to create well systems so that the, the villages can have water without the women. And this will be the hard part, okay, is for us to go into a culture like this and realize the men and women are separated. They, they have very defined tasks, very defined ways of living, and so the women are tasked with going to get the water, and some of them would have to walk over a mile carrying a five-gallon jug to go to a trickling stream, often polluted with, with, with feces from animals that have walked in it and all these things, and just let it fill up because they're in a time of drought, and then walk back that mile to two miles through the mountains to bring just a one five-gallon jug of water home to begin cooking and making tea and all of these things. And so as we sat there on the floor and we're having discipleship, we're asking questions, not discipleship, we're, we're having just spiritual conversations and we're, we're doing all these things. We had translators with us that are believers. Some people that have come to faith recently in the most beautiful telling moment of this, of, of whether this is gonna work is as the workers, those that are employed by the agency that we support and all of those things, 
as they were having conversation and they suddenly stopped, and then the new believers entered into engaging and boldly sharing the hope that is within them. That's how it's going to, to take off in this country in North Africa. Because the believers, the, the members, not just the workers who are paid to be there, but the believers are saying it is our job to bring this good news into our villages, into our cities, into our nation. It's our responsibility, so of course we will tell. And they pray and ask for boldness because they understand that how can they believe unless they hear? Brothers and sisters, we have bought into ideas about what it means for us to be faithful disciples that include an additional amount of just Bible intake. And please hear me, Bible intake is wonderful. I am encouraging you to read the Bible. I'm encouraging you to read the Bible more because we all have intake. We're, we're intaking from the internet, from Facebook and Instagram and, and Netflix and Prime and all these different things. So we have lots of input. And so I'm encouraging you, yes, increase the intake. But what do you call a, a body of water? that just receives water and has no outlet. You call it the Dead Sea. Unless we become this cesspool where nothing survives, we have to be poured out. And the way that we are poured out is through the proclamation of the gospel. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you want to see God then tell someone the good news. Because when you see him change someone, it is God at work. When we look at these men who rejected, there was one guy in particular who had resisted and resisted and resisted and resisted the gospel, who was sending YouTube videos to the workers there saying like, you know, well, this imam says this and this imam says this and like just, you know, uh, Muslim apologetics, you know, just sending all these videos and stuff. It was just relentless. When he finally humbled himself before the living God and gave his life to Christ, he is now the greatest evangelist in that body of believers boldly proclaiming, leading others to Christ. He led this man to Christ, discipled him, and now this man is leading people to Christ. That's the power of God at work in the life of one who then prized gathering with the church, who had such a tenderness and an affection for God and for the believers. It was so beautiful and so needed in the church today here. And so, lest we become jealous of where he, is, where he is at work, let us go and tell. We must be a people who do the work of the gospel, and the work of the gospel is proclaiming. You say, Chad, but what about good works? What about good works? I can think of no more meaningful good work than bringing water that people die without within two days to villages. To, to bring water, clean drinking water that will no longer kill their infants, then that sort of work. But the workers that we were working with said, but we always have to keep the main thing the main thing. Brothers and sisters, we're going to go do good works. I'm thankful for a sister of our church, Evie Williams, who's a member of this church that right now is in Florida doing disaster relief. 
And we ought to be those that run to the aid of our brothers and sisters in these sort of moments. But brothers and sisters, if we just go there and clear debris and gut houses and do all that, and we tell no one, we've not let the main thing be the main thing. And if we go into our city and we bring food to the hungry and we go in and we clean up streets and we do tutoring and we do all this, but we tell no one about Christ, then we've not allowed the main thing to be the main thing. And it will be no wonder when one day we wake up and we say, I just don't see God at work. Church isn't what it used to be. We need better music. We need better preaching. We need better this. And we're trying to get back to something And can I just tell you that the previous generations were better than us in many ways where we are today at proclaiming, at telling others about Jesus, of going out and and communicating this gospel. And again, this is where you begin to say, but yeah, like, does that mean we're going to be doing door-to-door in Lakeview? People are going to hate me. What I challenge you to do today is to simply say yes. Yes, Lord, I will obey. Stop saying no to the method and say yes to the master. Just say yes to him. Yes, I will proclaim. Let him then teach you the method. Let him bring you into how that's gonna be done. But when you say yes to him, that's the one that he uses. That's the one that then begins to experience the enlivening of his Holy Spirit to then have boldness to go and proclaim in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the family, in the friendships, all of those arenas begin to just, you begin to experience his power, not your weakness, his power. It's all toward this end of proclaiming the gospel. And look at it in the passage. I want you to just recapture the wonder of the gospel in verses 1 through 13. Because this, and I want to use a tool that we use here at First Baptist called the three circles. Now, again, if you've got another tool, great. But this is a tool that I've seen to be effective in being able to communicate the gospel with integrity. And so we're going to have it up on the screen in this moment of kind of walking through so that you can see how this is a tool that you can expound the scriptures, you know, even from a passage like Romans chapter 10. When we do the three circles, we write the word brokenness in the first circle because really, it's the one thing we agree with. We all are broken. Something is wrong. We all agree on this, but look how Paul says it. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, talking about the Jewish people, the people of God, those that had received the promises, the children of Abraham, all this is for their salvation. So if you're here today and you think, well, well, Jews all just get a pass. They all get saved and all that. That's not what Paul says. He's hoping for their salvation. He is communicating the gospel for their salvation. So even ethnic Jews are in brokenness. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's important for us to understand. We're not providing classes. We all have sinned and fall short of the the glory of God. We're all in brokenness. And he can say, I can testify about them, that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Zeal for God is one thing. In zeal for God, Paul persecuted the church. That was his knowledgeless zeal for God at work. And can I tell you that I have been in a place this week where they have a zeal for God, but it's without knowledge. It's a zeal that causes them to drop to their knees five times a day and to pray, but it's without knowledge. 
It's a zeal that causes them to neglect eating all day for a month during Ramadan, but it's without knowledge. It is a zeal that characterizes our brokenness as we try desperately and desperately and desperately to get back to God's design. Verse three, since they're ignorant of righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they've not submitted to God's righteousness. You see, there was a righteousness that existed in God's good design. I mean, think about it. When he created Adam and Eve, he created them with a right relationship with himself. He could have created them to be objects of his wrath right out of the gate. But instead, he created them with a right relationship with one another and with God. But like them, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin entered in through the first act of disobedience and has characterized all of creation, all of humanity ever since. Sin separates us from God, and as much as we try with zeal to get back to God, we can't. We can't. But there is one who can bring us back. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. He says, yeah, if you can keep the law perfectly, then you'll live. But who has done that? Even as we communicated in a Muslim culture, who is able to do all that God has said to do perfectly? No one. No one was the answer. No one. We all fail. We all fail. But then you just try to replace it with good works. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven. That is to bring Christ down. You see, God already sent Christ down. And that's the good news of Christ is that God sent his one and only son to come and to live in our broken world. But he wasn't broken. He he wasn't like us in that regard. He didn't have that brokenness of sin. Born of a virgin, he had God as his father and was without sin. And like I said before, the Muslims, they agree with this aspect about Jesus. But then it goes on. And who will go down into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. You see, Christ already raised Christ from the dead because Christ first died for our sins. The Bible teaches that when Jesus died on the cross, he was not dying because of anything he had done, but he was dying for you and for me and paying the cost of our sin. For the consequence of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. On the contrary, what does it say? Verse eight, the message is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. So how do we experience this salvation of Jesus? This one who came, was crucified, buried, and then raised on the third day, ascended into heaven and will one day return. How is it that we come to receive this message of hope? This is the message of faith that we proclaim that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when we place our faith in him, when we proclaim Christ as Lord, and ask him for the forgiveness of our sins. He forgives us, and we become a new creation, and we begin to grow 
into God's design for our life, but do not miss it. That growth trajectory is in you telling the gospel. That's his design. We just went through an entire chapter devoted to this very thing. This is what God has ordained. If we do not tell, we will not grow. And worse, if we never tell, tell this good news of the gospel, then there is certainly reason to question whether we are truly his disciples because he has said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. What sort of fool encourages someone to do something that they're not doing themselves? That is a foolish instruction. That is a foolish discipleship to say, do what I don't do. Instead, we are called to proclaim. We are called to see the wonder of the gospel in Christ Jesus our Lord. How good is it to know that anyone in North Africa who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? How good is it to know that anyone on the streets of New Orleans who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? How good is it to know that any youth at Rivard Juvenile Detention Center who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? and change forever, given an eternal hope. How good is it to know that there is no one who will ever call in the name of the Lord that God says, not you, not you, not you. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you're here today, and today is the first day that you have seen clearly what you need to do. You, like Muslims, have lived with a scales-based theology that God is keeping a record of right and wrong, and you just hope that by the end of your life, you've done more good than bad. That is not hope. That is fear. And that fear will keep you from God. But understand this, there's a loving God right now extending his arms to you and inviting you to come to him in faith, to believe that his son paid it all. The scale now tilts in your favor. You have all of the righteousness of Jesus and all of your sins forgiven. That is what it means to be saved. That is what it means to experience that everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. But I know that I'm preaching to a room mainly full of those who say, yeah, I've made that confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. I just want to challenge you with this. Prove it. Prove it. I'm looking in the mirror too, brothers and sisters. Prove it. He's called us to this. We want to do everything but this, right? Telling others, we're like, oh, please let me go do disaster relief for the rest of my life. Without having to tell someone. I, don't, I just don't like telling someone. That's your weakness, and his power is perfected in your weakness. It's okay to say, I, I, I don't like this part. That's your weakness. Let his power be perfected in your weakness. But we are those who proclaim. A few minutes ago, you said yes. Maybe in your heart, you said yes to the Lord. I encourage you, in these weeks to come, in the next month, we're going to be offering additional trainings on how to share the gospel, how to have these conversations how to witness to Muslims, how to, how to be able to engage with, with agnostic or atheistic thinking. Uh, all of these things, we're gonna be resourcing and equipping you in how to do these things. 
But is your yes on the altar? Yes, Lord, I will obey. Because it all starts there. God, I thank you for these moments together in your word. I thank you for how you're at work among the nations. And I thank you that in this passage, you invite us into a living work that you are doing. Let us not forget that. This is not something you're just leaving us out to do. This is where you are at work and how beautiful is your work. How great are your masterpieces? How incredible is it to behold what you do with a human life fully given to you? It is an incredible thing to behold, God, that in a culture in North Africa where women are often treated with incredible disrespect and, dis, and disregarded treated almost as house slaves to see a brother whose wife is about to have a baby loving his wife and serving her. To, to see him cherishing his family and laying down his life as Christ did for the church to love his wife. God, that is beauty. But Lord, thank you for what you do when we give our lives to you. Help us, Lord, go into New Orleans and all nations to proclaim this gospel of peace. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to respond in song. But some of you may need to come and just kneel at these steps in these moments together and just give your yes again to the Lord. Just to come to him and say, yes, Lord, I will tell. Yes, Lord, I will obey. There may be an area in your life where you're just needing to come clean with God this morning that's been in the way of an obedient life as a disciple. Just come and spend time with him. There's nothing more that I desire for us as a church. So let us respond in faith as we sing.